0: so open our Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where Dave was reading for us earlier. I think we're setting a record this morning for the uh, shortest number of verses for our text. <laughs> um, but we're going to be actually all over the place and it's going to be sort of a different study in light of uh, things that are happening in the world right now. As we come to this chapter... It can be classified as one of the most important and critical chapters in the entire Bible. If you would select 10 of the greatest chapters of the Bible, which men have done from the beginning of the Christian era, you will find 1 Corinthians 15 will be on your list and has been on practically all the lists ever made. It is that important. It is so important that actually it answers the first heresy of the church, which was the denial of the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, we've already gone through 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 1 through 19. I'll just point out because um, the first four verses of Chapter 15 is actually the gospel. If you want a definition of the gospel, um, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you received, and in which you stand, by which you are also saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And here's the gospel. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So again, whenever we read the scriptures, there was no New Testament, so it's always a reference to Old Testament prophecies and it's uh, being fulfilled here. As we look at Our first verse is actually the um, order of the resurrection, but I am primarily going to get sidetracked after we get to um, the end of verse 22. But let's look at verse 20 for starters. Um, I might also add one of the reasons that I'm going in a direction and talking literally about death this morning is sometimes, let me use Job as an example. Uh, Job was extremely wealthy. Um, They say he was the wealthiest man in the East. People sought him out from all over for his counsel. Um, He had seven sons and three daughters, and he lost everything in one day, all taken away. In one day, and losing seven sons and three daughters, uh, it's Job fourteen verse four, it drove him to a place of asking a question that he probably would not have asked the question because things were going so well for him. And the question was this: as he pondered the trial of losing all of his possessions and his, and, his, uh, and his wife and um, it drove him to ask the question, if a man dies, will he live again? That was his question. And um, I don't think he would have been asking the question unless he would have been going through the difficult times. Now the reason I bring this up is I think people are looking at our world and there's a lot of different perspectives about um, um, taking the jab or not taking the jab. What are the consequences? Um, And people are losing their jobs or they're put in a position that if you don't, I talk to people every week. Um, And uh, we're... By the way, we're, if you're in one of those positions and uh, they'll accept a religious exemption and um, you're here at Calvary or you're watching this live stream, uh, you have to email the church and ask for it specifically with your name so it's personal. But we will gladly give them out and we've been getting a lot of good reports that because of it, they're, they're accepting the exemption and they're able to keep their jobs. Um, a lot of people don't share the convictions that we may share. Now they're put in quite a different situation. And I know people that have gotten vaccinated just to keep their job. And I could tell you one horror story after another, um, happening in differing degrees to different people, depending upon their health and age and so on and so forth. Um, But I would like to start with that, because I'm sort of framing our Bible study this morning, because I think we're at a time in history that we've never seen before. We were talking about uh, um, uh, restarting up uh, dinner sixes, and uh, I asked asked Peter Putney if he would uh, head it up. Uh, Peter and Eva, um, Eva actually grew up in Auschwitz, and Peter, and Eva, oh, this is years ago, went and planted a Calvary Chapel in uh, Auschwitz. We were actually baptizing people right across the street from Auschwitz. Uh, in Auschwitz, there's also three miles away a place called Birkenau. And um, that's, the Germans pretty much completely destroyed Birkenau, but Auschwitz, because it's all brick, is primarily fully intact. Now... The reason we were talking about it is today is Halloween, October 31st. And I remember them taking me to a cemetery in Poland, a different city outside of Auschwitz. By the way, she was also in the movie The Hiding Place, so you might want to get her autograph. (laughs) And when they took me to this, they said, Dwight, you've got to see this. And we went to this cemetery, acres and acres, huge cemetery, but it was like, who could outdo the other person by putting a bigger a bouquet of flowers on that tombstone? There was not one tombstone that was not covered with flowers. And it's because it's all saints day or whatever it is. It's a big deal in, in, in Poland. Anyway, getting back to uh, uh, verse 20 here, we read, now Christ is risen from the dead, and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now here, the um, Christ is the first fruits. Now in the Old Testament, uh, they had the festival of first fruits, when they would bring the first sheaves of grain to the Lord. This meant that there would be more to come; otherwise, it couldn't be called the first fruits. The fulfillment of that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He came back from the dead in a glorified body. Now we'll be talking about Lazarus this morning. Well, he came back from the dead too, but not with a glorified body. So he had to die again to get his resurrected body. But Jesus was the first one who died and rose again with a resurrected body. Uh, completely different with his capacities of what he could and couldn't do. He could appear, disappear, walk through walls. And um, the fulfillment of this is the resurrection of Jesus. He came back from the dead in a glorified body, and he's the only one who comes back from the dead in a glorified body. So um, um, that basically is uh, what First Fruits was all about. When we read 21 and 22, we read, For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die. Now I'm going to come back to that verse there, and in just a little bit. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Now, after the festival of first fruits came Pentecost, Pente is 50, which was 50 days later. That found its fulfillment in Pentecost in the New Testament when the church began. That's Acts chapter 2. We'll be going there also this morning. So the beginning of the church age began with Pentecost. uh, But it will have its ultimate fulfillment when Christ comes for his own. And they shall all rise to meet him in the air And this will be the real Pentecost. We call it the church age, age of grace. Um, Romans tells us that um, um, when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, it implies that there's an end to the church age. It says then all of Israel will be saved. God owes Israel seven years. He promised him 490 years that he would work directly with the nation of Israel in Daniel chapter nine. 483 of those years have been fulfilled to the day. But that means there's seven years, one week, still left unfulfilled. Well, when does that start? Immediately after when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in and that implies again a set number of people. Now, there's a lot of debate going on about um, revival in the last days. And um, I'm looking at it a little bit differently than I used to because I think people are inquisitive right now. They know something's going on, but they just can't wrap their head around exactly what it is. Um... We look at it a lot differently because I look at it from a biblical perspective. Uh, everybody's familiar with uh, the Project Reset. Most of us are aware that the real agenda here, with help from people like Curtis Bowers and others, that it's really a Marxist socialist agenda for a one world order. Now the reason I find that interesting is that's exactly what the Bible says is gonna happen. We've been preaching it for 40 years. Didn't know how it was going to happen. Now I know how it's going to happen. So um, those who are literate to the scriptures and do not have the biblical perspective, uh, they are actually are saying, you know, this is all going to work out. And it's going to go back and everything's going to be normal again. I can guarantee nothing is ever going to be normal again. It's not happening. Matter of fact, me personally, and I know I'm getting sidetracked here, but I only got three verses, so I can get sidetracked all I want. <laughs> um, we, are, we are in a war with China right now, guys. We're on a full-on war. It's, um, right now, it's not uh, guns and missiles, but it's taken on other forms, but it's having the same effect. Uh, financially, uh, I, I think we're past the point of no return. Um, Judy and I are driving to church in a very famous restaurant that we drive by all day, signs out looking for help and I go there goes another one another family business I think the percentage that I heard yesterday was 60% of the businesses in New York that are privately mom and pop owned businesses will never reopen again, 60% and um So I see the scriptures telling us in 2 Thessalonians that there will be a falling away in the last days. And I see that happening, but at the same time, I see this inquisitiveness of people that want to know, is there something biblical going on with this? And so their curiosity is piqued. And I want to tell you absolutely, like, Absolutely, yes, the stage is set um, for one-world government, uh, for the mark of the beast. And no, the vaccine is not the mark of the beast because that rumor is going around out there. It is not. The mark of the beast is not implemented until the middle of that last seven-year period that God owes Israel. But the stage is set. And if the Lord came today... Uh, which I wish you would, because <laughs> I don't have any candy to give to the trick-or-treaters. <laughs> and we turn the lights out anyway. And uh, and all that has to happen is the church to be gone and everything is set in place. The one world government, uh, one world monetary system, they're working on that real, real quick. Is everybody aware here that uh, Saudi Arabia made a deal with Russia, where they removed uh, to buy oil in the world? You had they we call our dollar petrodollars. Um, uh, they signed an agreement with Russia. Um, Saudi Arabia did to remove the petrodollar, and they have their own currency between themselves. So our dollar. And you might, might be thinking about what you might want to be doing with your dollar because inflation, boy, I really am getting sidetracked, ain't I? <laughs> inflation is a lot more than probably what they're telling us right now. And um, I just don't see any hope except the coming of the Lord, at least for this, this planet, and uh, this new body that he's promised to us. So in 21, at the festival of the first fruits came Pentecost. uh, um, And uh, the real fulfillment of this is gonna be when the Lord comes again, the second time when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. Uh, The Pentecost I'm waiting for is when the Lord Jesus Christ comes to take his church out of the world Uh, Christ is the first fruits turn with me please to the book of Acts chapter 2 and this is the day of Pentecost but we're going to look at verse 22 through 36 and what we have is the apostles are gathered together in a room and the Holy Spirit, this is the only time the Holy Spirit is audibly seen and audibly heard. Every other time when it talks about the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, it's not seen nor is it heard. A matter of fact, Jesus compared it to Nicodemus like the wind blowing through the, the trees. You can't can't see it, you can't hear it, but you can see the effect that it has on the branches of the tree. So it is those who are born of the Spirit, or born again. So they're all filled with um, the Holy Spirit, and um, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, because it was the Feast of Pentecost, this is one of them where if you were a Jewish man, you could have been, the list of uh, of the countries are named here, Mesopotamia, Judea, Egypt, Rome, and it goes on and on. So they are devout Jews that are coming to Jerusalem, and um, they're worshiping the Lord in their native language. And the thing is, the disciples understood what was being said. And uh, they were amazed and perplexed, verse 12, saying to one another, what could this mean? Um we hear them speak in their own language the wonderful works of God. Uh, the gift of tongues is not just babbling on. It's a tongue from, it would be like, I think I used the example on Wednesday. If Bastia um, sends me news articles and films and stuff from, from Haiti, it is always in Creole. Uh, Creole basically is French sort of a sloppy French and I know three or four Creole words. But he sends me these things and it's all in it's all in Creole and I don't understand what they're saying. And that's what it was here. It's a real language, but I I'm not Haitian so I don't speak Creole. Um, I need an interpreter. Well Bastia speaks perfect English and he makes a great interpreter. And when I go down there to teach, he's got to stand here and I stand here. I speak in English and he interprets in Creole so that they can understand what's being said. But in verse 22, um, I have a, what I call a prophecy Bible here and always highlights in red uh, a prophecy that is being fulfilled. And here is the beginning of the church and what Peter, now, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, is going to present who Jesus is to um, those that are, not, that are Jews. By the way, remember, there were no Gentile Christians until Cornelius, so all these people that became Christians were Jews. All of them. The early church was Jewish. Jewish until Cornelius got saved, and they couldn't believe that. (laughs) And when the gospel was preached to Cornelius, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, and all the Jews went, what is this, Gentiles getting saved? Inconceivable, unbelievable. And um, that caused the first big debate, really, in the church. So we find in verse 22, men of Israel, Peter's preaching here, Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourself also know. Him, being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have uh, taken by lawless hands and you have crucified and you've put him to death whom God raised up and having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it and then what Peter does here is he goes back and he quotes um, a psalm of David to verify and justify what he just told them he said you know your Old Testament and now he's going to quote it for David said concerning him I foresaw the Lord always before my face for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken therefore my heart rejoices and my tongue was glad moreover my flesh will also rest in hope because you will not leave my soul Now he's referring to himself, David, my soul, and Hades, or hell. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. All right, we've changed from David to Jesus. Your Holy One was the Messiah, whom he's saying you murdered and you crucified. And you have made known to me the way of life. You will make me full of joy in Your presence. I'd actually like to take you back to where this is quoted from. So let's flip back to Psalm um, 16. It's only the same verses. But again, um, the reason we do chapter by chapter, Genesis to Revelation, verse by verse, is so that you can see the connection. And I say this all the time that you really can't go through a chapter in the New Testament without it referring to some Old Testament scripture. Uh, In men's prayer yesterday, we were in Isaiah, and uh, a point that kept reoccurring is one of the attributes of our Heavenly Father is he's the only one who can tell the beginning from the end, and he can tell you something that's gonna happen before it happens. And God is the only one who can do that. And so here, in Psalm 16, he's talking about something that's going to be fulfilled. Um, And it's basically verse 10 saying the same thing that we just read in Acts 2. David is saying, nor will you leave my soul in Sheol, that's another word for Hades or hell, nor will you allow your Holy One, Jesus, to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. Your presence, in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Boy, doesn't that get you thinking? What's at his right hand? Um, Let's go to, as we um, look at the reality of... um, death let's turn to Luke chapter 16 Luke 16 I want to talk about the reality of heaven and hell and in Luke 16 we have um, it says the parable of the rich man and Lazarus well one of the requirements for something being a parable is it cannot contain a proper name and in this story, we have a, a person who has a proper name. His name is Lazarus. So in verse 19 through 11, um, we just read that he will not leave his soul in Hades or allow his body to see corruption. So in verse 19, it says, It was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, fared sumptuously every day, and there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, he was full of sores, who was laid at his gate desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell down from the rich man's table. Uh, this literally was happening in our compound in Carne. People are knocking on the door and begging for rice, just like the beggar here was begging the rich man for food. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And so it was that the beggar died. It's inevitable. Every person here is going to die. Now, I know you don't want to hear an amen right now, but I want one anyway. Everybody here is going to die. Now, there's one generation, and I think it's this one is going to see otherwise, but um, uh, that's simply the fact of the matter. So, the rich man... Um, died, and was carried. Who died? So it was that the beggar died, that would have been Lazarus, and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Um, this is not heaven; it's Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died, and was buried. So one was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom and a rich man had died and he was simply buried. Except he didn't die. Only his flesh died. Dust to dust, ashes to ashes was the flesh, but not the spirit or the soul. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom being comforted. And he cried and said, Father Abraham. Well, there's a lot of theology in the verse I just read. Because even though there's a spirit and a soul, there's also a body, an eternal body that will exist in hell that has the capacity to be thirsty and be in torment. But we're also going to find out he's going to have a memory about his brothers, about his family, So let me just point out for starters that even though he's in hell, uh, he has his own new body, one designed to exist in hell that can desire thirst, be thirsty. Um, um, We'll read on. He says, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Well, some people blow this off, and, and uh, I remember before I was saved, uh, oh, yeah, man, we're going to hell, and we're going to rock and roll with all our buddies, and uh, it's going to be party time. It's not going to be party time. Matter of fact, I have a personal conviction that you're alone. When we're cast into, from here, it says death and hell is going to be... Um, brought into Revelation 20 at the great white throne judgment and then it says they'll be cast into outer darkness. Now if you just meditate on that for a second and the last thing that you can remember seeing if that's your state and you died in your sins and you stood before the great white throne judgment and your name was not written in the book of life and then you're cast into the lake of fire but it also says into outer darkness. I believe you're by yourself, left with yourself, with your thoughts of your life. And the last thing you remember seeing is the Father sitting on the throne in judgment. And that's what you'll be experiencing forever and ever and ever. I, don't, I would not want to be left alone by myself with my old sinful life, and just having that to think about forever and ever and ever. I think that would be even more of a torment. But anyway, he says, I'm tormented in this flame. That means he could feel heat. And Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things. And likewise, Lazarus receives evil things. Let me just stop and clarify. That doesn't mean rich people don't go to heaven. and it doesn't mean that um, poor people can't go to hell I think there's a lot more temptations for rich people that came up in men's prayer yesterday and as a result um, uh, well the Bible simply says warn those who are rich not to trust in their riches there's no real security in it it won't make you happy anyway Uh, You received good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he's comforted and you're tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you, they can't, nor can those from here pass to the other. So there was a dimension that um, the rich man was in of torment and a completely different place called uh, Abraham's, what I call Abraham's bosom, that was a place of comfort. And now it sets in the reality that this man is stuck in this place as far as he knows forever and there's nothing that he can do about it. Sorry, it's, we can't go from one to the other. We can't go there. You can't come here. And who... It's interesting to me at this point what he thinks of. If that's the case, he's thinking in his mind, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may, we would say, witness to them, lest they come to this place of torment. Please take this to heart. We know the hour is late. Please take opportunity now while you can um, to share the reality. Hey, do you know that you have an appointment someday? You have an appointment with death. And if you die in your sins, you're gonna spend forever and ever and ever in a place of torment. And this is what he's asking Lazarus. Would you send Lazarus back? Because I have family members. All of us here have family members that are not saved question is, what are we doing about it? And um, if we really allow this story right here to settle in, um, and uh, his only concern now is if they're still alive. They still got a chance. And Abraham said to them, now this is interesting. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. What's he saying? Well, they got a Bible. Let them read it. Moses and the prophets. Let them read the scriptures. Come. and um, But if one goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. Now they're, now they're arguing. <laughs> the rich man's arguing with Abraham. No, 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 no. I'm sure a miracle would do it. Well, there was a miracle of a guy named Lazarus that rose from the dead, wasn't there? And you know what? You know what happened? A lot of Jews got saved. And a lot of other ones said, "Uh uh-oh, you know what this means? We not only have to kill Jesus, but now we're gonna have to kill Lazarus too. He's a walking witness. Everybody knows he's been dead for four days. And they were comforting Martha and Mary. But um, because a person sees a miracle, that doesn't necessarily make them say, oh, I was wrong all along, a miracle. Well, Simon the Sorcerer could do miracles. Satan can do miracles. There's all kinds of counterfeit miracles going on. The question is, do the miracles line up with the teachings in this book? That's, that's the defining um, plumb line, if you would, of uh, discernment and judgment and um, he's basically saying the Bible, they're not gonna read the Bible uh, for them, um, and then they'll repent, but he said, even if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one would rise from the dead. They have their own appointment. Now, it says in the book of Ephesians, if you're taking notes this morning, Chapter four, it tells us in verse seven, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. So there's somebody that's in captivity And then it also goes on to say, and uh, when he ascended, he gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. But what does it mean that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth? And um, the rich man, the, the, the thief on the cross, after listening and watching our Savior on Calvary's cross, he became persuaded that Jesus was the Messiah. And he knows he's gonna die. He's probably figured, what do I got to lose? Lord, will you remember me when you enter your kingdom? And the Lord said to him, today, you're gonna be with me in paradise. Well, we all know that Jesus didn't raise from the dead for three days, and he didn't ascend into heaven until 40 days later after that. So, but he said, today, you're gonna be with me in paradise. Well, what does that tell us? Paradise is not heaven. Paradise is where he went. And Where did he go? He descended here, Ephesians, if you're taking notes, chapter four. He descended, what does it mean? He also first descended to the lower parts of the earth. And what was he doing down there? I like to say he was setting the captives free. You see, they were waiting. They were waiting because um, Jesus, when it says he was the first fruits um, from the um, grave after three days, well, uh, Matthew 27, verse 52, if my memory serves me correctly, it says, after Jesus erect what was resurrected, um, it said, right after that, many of the graves were opened. And people came out of the graves. And they went and visited relatives in Jerusalem. Put yourself in their your seats. All of a sudden, you open the door, there's Aunt Betty, she's been dead for 40 years. And it was a witness and a testimony of the resurrection. Now there, I'm not gonna be dogmatic about this on how some people view the resurrection but I believe Abraham's bosom no longer exists. I believe that um, um, that uh, when he let, he set the captives free, he was empt, emptying along with the guy on the cross. Um, he was in paradise that day, but three days later, my Bible says in every funeral that I do, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You know, there's, there's no purgatory, there's no um, uh, soul sleep. Good one, we said it at the same time, Tom. <laughs> I'm glad you're listening, by the way. Okay. And uh, he, he was mumbling, soul sleep. <laughs> and so that doctrine is out there. No, you die and you're instantly, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, again, I'm telling you these things in light of the times that we're living with and um, it was actually prophesied how long he would be there. I'll read an Old Testament verse and then I want to connect it with a New Testament one. I'm quoting from Jonah, chapter one, verse 17. Now, the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights And, of course, the skeptics say, (laughs) do you really believe that a fish swallowed Jonah and that he was in there for three days and three nights? I absolutely do. And I say, you know why? Because the New Testament teaches exactly the same thing. Now I'm quoting Matthew 12, verse 40. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. If you don't want to believe me, fine. But Jesus said it too. You're gonna have to uh, deal that issue with him. So the time frame is, that's how long he was there. The Bible tells us he preached to the spirits that were there. And... Um, as we read it in Hebrews, it talks about uh, the blood of goats and bulls can never take away sin. It can temporarily put it aside. But Hebrews 10 says that they were waiting. Waiting for what? Uh, for the promise. What was the promise? That God had prepared a place for them. And there, um, this whole study, I don't want to get that sidetracked, But we find the duration of time was uh, three days, Old Testament and New Testament. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to look at um, verse 22a. So let's go to 22a and just read the words and I've already asked this question. For as in Adam all die, there's no such thing as reincarnation Um, I didn't get it right the first time. Um, You better get your karma act together and it might might take you a couple hundred thousand years or so but eventually you'll reach nirvana and uh, you'll make it. No. For as an Adam all die and the scripture says it is appointed to men to die once. No reincarnation. You die once. After this, the judgment. Now, here's my question this morning. Do you fear death? Just, just be honest. In America, unfortunately, uh, people are more interested in day-by-day living. Uh, the rug's been pulled out to, from underneath them, so to speak, because of the pressure of possibly losing a job or... Losing a family member to um, the COVID or whatever. Um, But if you don't know the Lord, most people, if not all, fear death. I want to flip it around and say, not only should you not fear it, but you should look forward to it. And you're saying, what? Where do you find that in the Bible? Well, I'm glad you asked me that question. Let's turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7. I'm going to read the first verse of Ecclesiastes. Let me give you a little background here before I make this statement. Of all the kings of Israel, uh, they wanted to become worldly. They were judged by prophets. They were judged by the judges but they wanted a king of their own. They wanted to be like the other nations. So God gave them Saul. Saul reigned for 40 years and he died. After Saul, God raised up King David. David reigned for 40 years, had the reputation, he was a sinner, committed adultery, committed murder, but that's not what he's really known for. He's known for being a man after God's own heart. And he's going to be the one when we read earlier, that's going to sit upon the throne um, in, in the Lord's place so that the father can sit with the son and as we'll read a, a little bit, all will be all in all. So what we have here is Solomon was young. David died when he was 70 years old. Ooh, that's kind of scary when I think about that. <laughs> no, it's not scary. I'm looking forward to that. Wait, I am that. <laughs> what does the Bible say? The span of a man's life, three score and 10, 70. Unless you work out every day and take Garden of Life vitamins and stuff like that, uh, you can make it to 80 or 82 or something like that. <laughs> so he felt inadequate. And I mean, for Pete's sake, who wouldn't feel inadequate trying to fill David, King David's shoes? And he was young, and he got away from himself to a place called Gibeon. He offered 1,000 bulls to the Lord. And the Lord appeared to him, and he said, Solomon, what do you want? Go ahead, ask, ask anything, and I'll give it to you. And he said, Lord, you've been so faithful to my Father and raised him up and you've blessed him and you've put him over all these people, but he says, I'm I'm naive, I'm immature, I'm young, I'm not adequate to judge these your great people. So I I pray you give me some wisdom and give me some discernment so that I can be the the next king of Israel, Solomon. And the Bible says that the prayer requests, please the Lord. And the Lord said to Solomon, you got it. And um, I'm gonna make you the wisest man besides the Lord Jesus Christ. He says nobody before you or anybody after you will be wiser than you. Now we take the Bible seriously, but we also take it literally. And so I believe that Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived outside the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'm giving that as a little bit of background. Um, he wrote the, uh, the books of Ecclesiastes, Proverbs. He wrote 3,000 Proverbs. Uh, he wrote the Song of Solomon. He wrote 1,005 songs. And he's the wisest man who ever lived. So why are you telling me all this stuff, Dwight? Well, this one verse, that's why. Chapter seven, verse one says this. A good name is better than a precious ointment and the day of death than the day of one's birth. The day you die is better than the day you were born. Now, if it's just some average Joe telling you that, you can roll your eyes. But we're talking about the wisest man who ever lived. And he says, the day of your death is better than the day of your birth. Psalm 116, verse 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Are we to fear death? Well, here's, here's the thing. Now, there was this pastor And he had a a 12-year-old boy sitting in a second row. And uh, he was preaching a message, and he said, who wants to go to heaven? Raise your hand. Everybody in the church raised their hand. Everybody wanted to go to heaven, except for the little 12-year-old boy. And the pastor pulled him aside afterwards, and he says, well, why didn't you raise your hand? And the little boy said, because I thought you meant today. Think about it; you'll get it eventually. We all want to go to heaven, right? Do we want to go to heaven today? No, man. I'm going deer hunting right now. <laughs> this is bow and arrow season. I'm going to heaven when bow season is over with. Okay? And is that honestly? Is that our mentality? This little twelve-year-old was thinking it through. Who wants to go to heaven? He didn't know anything. right now. <laughs> we all want to go to heaven. But in reality, um, some of us, uh, many of you have um, great families, good relationships, good job. Yeah, heaven's gonna be fine, but hey, having a good time right now on Earth. And we have this American mentality, which is going down the toilet pretty quick. And so here we're told to have a different mindset not the American mindset. Um, We may not fear death, but not too many Christians, like the Corinthian church, they were carnal. And um, they did not have the capacity, as Paul is explaining to them, you know, it's not about the licentious lifestyle you guys are living. And a completely misunderstanding what being a, Christian was all about. We were what we would call carnal Christians. Getting drunk at communion and having gluttony at communion and having no concept of, at all that it was about Jesus' death at the time to examine yourself. They didn't know any of that stuff. And now he's explaining to them um, that he doesn't want them to be carnally minded, but to be heavenly minded. And so we read, I'll just quote this to you, uh, Romans 12, verses one and two. I beseech you, uh, old English word for I beg you. Paul is saying, I beg you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Um, and how often are we to do that? Present our body to the Lord. Doesn't the Bible say, Paul say, I die daily? And I always like to say the problem with dying daily is it's so daily. <laughs> but that's what we have to do. And that's not a big part of the American church thinking. It's, you could have your best life now. I, I, I don't care, it's Joel Osteen, I'll throw it out there. That's the thinking of a lot of the churches today. You can have your best life now. Not true. So, present your bodies as a living, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Okay, reasonable, reasonable. Hmm. Jesus died for me, took all my sins, and then he gave me his righteousness. Is that a reasonable reason for me to serve him for the rest of my life? Good place for an amen, but we need to be reminded of that daily, and we need to die daily. And you need to have church on Sunday morning, Wednesday, and uh, study um, men and women's prayer. But more importantly, when you're not here, your own devotional life, your own prayer life. I'll go on and quote Colossians three one. If then you were raised with Christ and we have been, seek those things which are above. Well now we're told what to seek for. Where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. Paul looked forward to it. Let's go back to our text. There's so much in this chapter Um, we'll get three different Bible studies out of it, another one next week, out of 1 Corinthians 15. But here I want to look at verses uh, 53 to 58. And this was Paul's mentality about death. He says in verse 53, for this corruptible must put on incorruption. In other words, his physical body and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible puts on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And then he says this, not only does he not only not fear it, he's saying bring it on. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gave us the victory through Jesus Christ. Therefore, now this is the last verse of of, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, therefore, everything we've just read, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord and know this that your labor in the Lord is not in vain the Lord is a great bookkeeper and he's writing all the things down Um, that would be a great place to end the study but I want to end it with a question and have you turn to the gospel of John chapter 11 and we'll close it with this John chapter 11 and here we have Lazarus again when Jesus would go to um, these feasts, he often would stay with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Well, Lazarus got sick, and Jesus is all the way down by Jericho, tip of the Dead Sea. And he was so sick, and they knew that Jesus would would be at the Passover, so they sent messengers down there, Mary and Martha did, and they said, Lord, come quick, Lazarus is, is on his deathbed. He he could die. Come right away, and when Jesus got the message, he stayed there for two more days. And um, the disciples started questioning about it, and um, um, the, he just had um, our friend Lazarus sleeps Said verse eleven. Um, and their, their attitude, well, well, that's good, let him, let him sleep. He, he, needs, he needs a rest. But I'm going to go wake him up. Uh, but his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, that's good. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. So here they come. They come up to Bethany, which is on the backside of the Mount of Olives. And when they get there, Martha is, um, well, I don't know how to say it. She had an attitude. Um, she knew that Jesus was the Messiah. She knew if the Lord was there, he would have been healed. And she comes out of the house, and in verse 21, and I, I, I can almost hear her doing this. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would have not died she says but even now i know that whatever you ask of god he will he will give it to you and jesus said to her your brother will rise again and martha said to him i know he'll rise again at the resurrection at the last day and then we have one of the 7 i am statements in john's gospel i am the resurrection That's the title of this message this morning. The first fruits. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Wasn't that Job's question? If a man dies, will he live again? It had never been answered. It's answered here in John chapter 11. If a man dies, will he die again? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who lives and believes, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked her this question, and I'm gonna let this be a question. I would like to believe every person here is saved, born again, name put in the book of life. Um, But we live stream across the world. And I'm sure there's people that are listening, that are not saved. And I'm addressing this closing question to maybe somebody here who's not born again and has never received Jesus as the only way. I'm asking you this question. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asks this question. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? And the way that we can Tell if a person believes something or not. Have you heard the terminology? Um, we're told not to judge, but we, we're told to judge people by their fruits, right? And the fruit of the Spirit is love. And there's other attributes of, of um, service and peace and joy and comfort, but they're all, it says the fruit of the Spirit. That's singular, is love. That you guys love one another. And if you love one another, and it's within our power to help somebody, and we don't do it, the Bible says that how does the love of Christ um, live in you? Well, Dave got up this morning. He says people are dying of starvation in Haiti. Well, they're going to you get a whole week to think about this. Somebody came up to me and said, uh, I'm not ready for this, I didn't know we were taking a collection this morning. I said, don't worry about it, we'll we'll announce it. And um, so let me leave you with that thought as a challenge, but also as a self-examination of just how much the love of Christ really does dwell in us. Let's face it, Appleton, Wisconsin, we live in a bubble. compared to a lot of the rest of the world. Good place for an amen. Are we not blessed? And so if the love of Christ dwells in us, let's, let's put out next week. Come and give us a special portion so that um, our brothers and sisters in the poorest con- con- country in the Western Hemisphere uh, can receive a blessing from CCA. Amen. Let's stand up and close in prayer. Thank you for your word this morning, Lord, as we consider the resurrection and the reality that we're all going to die. The question is, when we die, where do we go? We thank you that we do believe in you and you've promised us a new body. You've promised us eternal life. And for that, we are eternally grateful. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.